Good morning. Hey, this morning, if you're in the village or you're here inside this room, uh, we'd love to get you a Bible. Would some people stand up and uh, help get some Bibles for people? If you don't have a Bible this morning, would you raise your hand? I uh, would love for you to have one. Uh, if you need to take it home, that's, it's yours to have. But we're going to be in, in Exodus chapter 11. So raise your hand really high if you need a Bible this morning. You'll, you'll need one. Raise your hand really high. Again, in the, in the village, if you uh, need a Bible, just raise your hand. Uh, someone will help get you one there. Yeah, keep them. I see that hand. I just love saying that. I see that hand. I see that hand. It could be like an auction where we could do for Feed My Starving Children. There you go. I was going to say, uh, last service, uh, a fellow was so moved, he wrote a $1,000 check for Feed My Starving Children last service at the kiosk. It was pretty cool. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, raise your hand if you need a Bible. There's... Uh, was there anybody else that needed one? Somebody in the back there? Okay. Uh, this was a hard week for us in our world, wasn't it? Uh, I didn't want to, to blaze through this service without looking at the nine in Charleston, South Carolina that were, they lost their lives. I put their names on there and their ages because I feel like just faces... Uh, is not enough for me, and I want you to kind of lock in maybe on one uh, that you can be thinking about this week. I mean, you look at Ethel Lance, 70 years old, Susie Jackson, 87, I mean, they're all the way to, to Wanza, which is 26. I mean, just the, the diversity in age, and it's a sad week. And I want you just to Maybe to think about that this week and you pray, I, I don't know what it would be like. Uh, and probably just the comment is, uh, am I afraid about what could happen in churches? Uh, friends, throughout centuries, we've been trusting a God that will provide and protect and direct us. And I'll continue to do that. And maybe the prayer this morning is that as we looked at last week, what one meant for evil, God can use for great good. So let me pray for them this morning, and maybe you think about them as, as I pray together. Father, we're, we stand alongside our brothers and sisters in Charleston this morning, as they had services this morning, opened that church again for the first time. And God, the church has always gone through persecution but Father, when evil is done to it, as we just experienced this week, it's hard to understand or explain. God, we pray, first, great peace and comfort to these families and friends that lost loved ones. And God, in the midst of that, those losses, God, we pray that their lives would not be in vain, that God, there would be a ripple effect, that their lives lived and the love that they gave, God, would be noticed. And so, Father, we pray also where Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray for comfort this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't know if you followed uh, 
what happened this week on, on this, but then these families of, of these victims got to stand before uh, this fella, Dylan, who, who did the shootings this week. I don't know if you spent the time looking at the video or watching the news, but it, it went through where they all got to address him. Let me just read two of them to you. Two of them to you. It's Anthony Thompson representing his mother, Myra. I forgive you. And my family forgives you. We'd like you to take this opportunity to repent and repent and confess and give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ, so that he can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. Nadine Collier, she's the daughter of Ethel. And she says to Dylan, I forgive you. You took something really precious away from me. I'll never talk to her again. I'll never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. And I have mercy on you and your soul. It hurts me. It hurts me a lot. And it's hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you and I forgive you. I read that this week. I watched it. And I asked myself, could I do that? Maybe that's part of our question this morning. Could you forgive Dylan Roof? Because see, the gospel is not an easy story. The Bible is filled with many stories, but it points to a gospel story of a God that provides a great forgiveness for all of us. Could we, could you, could I forgive a Dylan Roof? D.L. Moody said it this way. I love this quote. The voice of sin is loud. We heard the voice of sin this week, didn't we? The world heard it. But he says, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. I want to talk about this, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to leverage the story. I'm not... I, I'm really just in a divine way, it's kind of landed in our week. And I don't, I don't think it would be uh, right of us not to address this and to talk about it, but it does play right into what we're going, where we're going to talk about the Exodus this morning. And so not only did that happen this week and that reality, but I sat this week in Angola and Trish and I, this week, were in Angola. Now, the interesting thing about Angola this week, it was Trish and I's 26th wedding anniversary on the 17th, and we did it, we spent that in prison. <laughs> Some guys really like that, so <laughs> I... And so there you see Trisha. And these are a hundred of the pastors and leaders I've told you about that have gone through Bible college, that friends are doing life for crimes like Dylan's. So when I ask, could I forgive Dylan Roof, here I sat pouring out for an hour and a half as pastors and felt like a peer. And 
I couldn't help but just wonder, what does is, what is this idea of forgiveness look like? And I shared with these pastors, I talked to them, I said, I told them the greatest problem in your churches, because they have 26 churches in this 18,000 acres, 6,300 inmates. There's 26 churches that they're leading, churches. Similar problems. I told them the, the worst problem in your church is going to be you, the pastor. And, and I confess that. I said, I'm, I'm my worst problem. Because the bottom line is, this morning, we all need a pardon. We all need forgiveness. We got to tour this facility and we got to be in a special room and I was thinking about it as I was sitting in there, but I thought of this as we're going to dive into the Exodus story this morning. The Bible is, is the story of God's great pardon for humanity. In the midst of hearing what happened in South Carolina, in the midst of being in Angola, I, I couldn't help but think of pardons. Now this became fully illustrated to me as Trish and I and a couple of us were in the, the execution room. They were touring us to the facility, there were some other things we got to see, but this really struck me. As you saw the shackles and the arm straps and where they would, would end the life of one who had been convicted for crimes too great to be forgiven. And so when in this room, I asked, I said, what are the red phones for? I said, oh, that's for the governor to call to pardon them. I just for a moment thought, I can't imagine being strapped down and waiting for a call, maybe. Crossing your fingers for, for a call. I said, why, why are there two fail-safe? In case one phone goes down, there, there's, there's a line open that can be received. This morning, I'm going to do a little bit different. I'm going to, just, I'm going to give it all to you away. I'm not going to try to save you know, 35, 40 minutes and then tell you what all this means. I'm going to tell you in the very beginning that I wonder this morning if we have to look really hard at the reality is that we all needed a pardon. That as we talked about the fall, we have all been born into sin. And that sin, as much as we'd like to justify that I didn't do it, they did, but the sin of the mind and the heart are as great in the kingdom of God. And that we all needed a pardon. And this, this story this morning is going to, to, to show us that. There are two key words in this idea of, of recognizing our pardon, and they pop up all throughout your Bible. One is redemption. It means a releasing affected by payment of a ransom. Recognize this morning that we all needed a ransom, and as good as we might think we are today in our, in our world, or you might think about your week, the reality is sin is enough one time for us to be strapped to the table. We're going to hear that in a moment when we go through the story of Exodus. It means deliverance. It means liberation by the payment of a ransom. Something had to be paid for the price of our evil. Another word you'll see a lot is forgive, or forgiveness. It means the release 
from bondage or imprisonment, forgiveness or a pardon of sins, letting them go as if they'd never been committed. I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that convict that's laying there ready to die and getting the phone call, we forgive you as if you never did it. You're free. I mean, today we would think that's unheard of. You think, wow, that, you just don't see that happening. But friends, this morning, I want to put it really in front of you as an application. That is the story of God. The story of God, our Bible, is God's pardon for humanity, for you and I. It's the remission of penalty. And so that puts us in the Exodus. The Exodus is uh, the story of the nation of Israel as it's growing in midst of this place of Egypt as they were in slavery. And we're going to find how God is going to finally remove them from that, pardon them from this slavery, get them out, buy them back. Another way to say it. Let's just go through a few points right now in the story first. Remember last week we talked about Joseph and his dad was Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. And so Joseph, remember, serves the Pharaoh for about 80 years. He's number two in command. But when Joseph dies, it says that the Pharaohs, that was the king's names, however many there were, forgot about Joseph. They didn't care. What they did care about, though, was that the Hebrew nation... This nation of Israel grew to about 2 million at this point and was outnumbering the Egyptians and they were in fear of them joining an enemy or overthrowing them. So the Egyptians put them in harsh slavery for about 430 years. Imagine 430 years is longer than our country's been around, but you're born into something you just recognize has always been. I'm a slave. I'm a slave. This is what the nation of Israel in Egypt is, is in. And it's interesting that God would allow, because God knew Joseph to move there and Joseph to go through what he went through, but for this, his, to bring his father Jacob and all their family to there to only to become slaves. But maybe, just maybe, God is putting a road sign. Ah, but I'm showing you what's going to happen. God chooses Moses. Remember the story? The Egyptians are trying to eliminate the growth of the Hebrews and so kill all of the male babies. And so Moses' mom puts, her, puts him in a basket and one of Pharaoh's daughters rescues him. He becomes the one that will lead, that God will use to lead them out of this slavery. Interesting couple notes. 50 days from the Passover, which is the meal that we know is the, is the 10th plague. Now there are 10 plagues, and we could go through them all, but the ninth plague is the plague of darkness. Again, when Jesus is on the cross, what happens to the sun for some time? The world goes to dark. Know that in darkness, God provides a way out. And God will do that in this moment. But 50 days from the Passover, which is the last plague, the last plague is, God says, you take a lamb, you wipe that, you sacrifice it, put the blood on a doorpost. The angel of death is going to come through and kill every firstborn animal or child. The only pardon you have is the blood, and, and I will pass over. Passover becomes a meal and a festival that Jews still celebrate today, 
But you will find it surface again when Jesus, what, celebrates a Passover meal before he is sacrificed and becomes the blood that passes over all humanity if we receive that sacrifice. Fifty days from this Passover, though, Moses finds himself at Mount Sinai getting the law, the Ten Commandments, and the law. Get this, 50 days from the crucifixion, guess who shows up after Jesus ascends? The Holy Spirit. We have the law and the Holy Spirit again being interconnected as we look at Old Testament and New Testament. The Passover now becomes an ordinance that God says, I want you to celebrate this. We'll see that in a minute. And it's the first month of the Jewish year. We say here a lot, first fruits. It's because God wanted the Israelites to know I'm first. He literally had them building their camp in the middle, and you camp all around. I'm the center. I'm the first. And we find that the first month of a Jewish year is Passover. First. Friends, we we could stop throughout this whole morning, and I could just talk for 40 minutes on this concept. Does God get firsts from you? Part of the response of giving, for as I understand scripture, is that I honor God first and trust him for provision. That's why we do it. God wants your first and your best. You'll see that all throughout your Bible. Remember I said I wanna, we wanted to, to cultivate a love for the story. We wanted to connect you to all the stories that point to Jesus. But then remember the last, I want to charge you to apply Apply it. Too, there's too much intellectual addiction to Bible knowledge today and not enough application to learn what it means to forgive, to learn what it means to give God firsts and trust is something we just don't do as much today. So it lands us into all these connections. And again, usually I do this in the end, but I want to do it now. The Passover lamb in the Passover really is a road sign you'll see that Jesus will become the ultimate Passover lamb. He will be the one that really is we've been waiting for. Slavery. The Egyptians have been, in, or the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt. It's really a picture of us, though, to, to recognize we have been born as slaves to sin. Paul will talk about that. That you don't escape that. The plagues. The plagues are God's judgment onto sin, saying there's got to be a price paid. As, as they go through what it's going to mean for Dylan Roof, there's a price for your action, and God brings judgment. But in the midst of judgment, as we've seen from the fall, from Noah, from Joseph, God always gives grace and mercy. Let me show you this last one. Fascinating. I was so excited to share this with Tricia, and she already knew it. Um, she's such a smarty. Uh, the Red Sea. If you remember the, the Exodus, the Israelites get sent all the way to the base of the Red Sea. Remember they, they scream at Moses as they're watching the Egyptians just come after him in chariots? I can't believe this. We're going to die out here in the desert. At least we had graves in our homes in Egypt. And there was a barrier between them and freedom. A barrier between them and their journey to the promised land. In the New Testament, there's been a temple, and the temple has a room called the Holy of Holies, and within it, 
there's a large curtain like our curtains here that we get pulled. And it's very, very high and it's three inches thick. And it, it was the barrier between people and the Holy of Holies where God's presence would reside. Only one time a year, a high priest could go into there, three inches thick. The Red Sea is torn open and the Israelites have freedom and protection and, a, and they're moving towards the promised land. When Jesus dies, it says that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom, opened up like the Red Sea. Man, if, if this doesn't just scream like a road sign to your New Testament, it's amazing. So I couldn't help but just share that stuff with you. We're going to dive in this morning, and let's look at Exodus 11. I want to give you a couple thoughts about God himself in the midst of this. Exodus 11 says, Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague. I've done nine. The last one was darkness. I'm going to bring this last one. It's going to be the angel of death moving all over throughout Egypt. And it says, after this, Pharaoh's going to let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. He's going to be done. This will bring a full, a full force of my judgment. Exodus 12, the Lord says to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel then that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. I said this in the last service, I'm going to say it again. This is, again, there's so many side little rabbit trails I can get caught down. Men, we're to lead in our home. I love this picture of that, that God speaking to the men to take leadership in their homes. And men, this is not typically how we view leadership, like bossing around or being domineering. It's the first to forgive. It's the first to show gentleness, kindness, patience. It's the first to exemplify what it means to live like Jesus, to show mercy, to show grace, to be generous. These, this is the model. And so God sets this up. We're there to find a lamb, one for each household. And then it's, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, it's too much for them to eat, they should share with neighbors. Could you imagine, after going through these nine plagues, could you imagine the community saying, do you have one? Do you need one? Why don't we come together as families? I say this all the time to you. I've said it for six years, over six years to you. Friends, you are created for community. The church of Jesus Christ is not Sunday sitting to information. It is Monday through Saturday living out the gospel amongst people, with people that know Jesus and people that don't. The church is to be infiltrating cities, infiltrating homes, infiltrating businesses. So there's the sharing picture. Having taken account of the number of people there are, um, you're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Uh, the animals you choose must be a year old male without defect. What do we see this as a picture of on the cross? Jesus was the firstborn male and was without defect. He had no broken bones. And this is the, a, such a great foreshadowing of what we'll see Jesus. Verse 6 now, take care of them until the 14th day. Um, and then the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take the blood, some of the blood, and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames 
of your houses. Still today, in Israel, are these little boxes to the sides of every door. Of every door. And you can buy them and you roll up and it's to be the, the part of Leviticus and Deuteronomy that talks about write this on the doorpost of your home because symbolically that says you're, you're broadcasting that in this home, God is first. In this place, we have one right in, the, in our home and what the, the Jewish culture does is they rub it and they, they kiss it because the word of God was like honey and to eat it and to take it in. And so they're to put blood now on the doorposts of their homes so that it says that the angel of death will pass over. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Know that every plague that God brings to the ten, you know, the ten plagues to Egypt, each address an Egyptian god that they believed in. There's an amazing study in that. The frogs, the locusts, uh, the river, the Nile, all of those are around addressing and debunking uh, gods that they believed in at that time. It says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. I will pardon. I will forgive. I will not give the punishment due. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. And go down, it says in verse 30, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up in the middle of the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt. Listen to this last line. For there was not a house without someone dead. I don't, we've had horrible things in our world today and, and throughout history of people dying, but I don't know if we could say that that every home, someone was dead. That's horrible. And you could imagine that night being an an Israelite, seeing these plagues, and and that night huddling together for fear of what was going to unfold, and knowing it was going to happen, and hearing that wailing. First point about God is God's Passover is God's ransom from darkness and slavery. God just didn't say, you're born into sin, you're up a creek. You're going to have to figure this out and try to earn your way back and try to get good credits and merits on earth. He provides a ransom. It's as if all humanity was strapped to the table, convicted of the crimes, ready to die, and God says, I'm providing a pardon if you'll receive it. The scriptures are very clear all throughout the New Testament, but here's a couple. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. He didn't set us free to create a problem for us. He set us free for freedom's sake. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to what? Slavery. Why would you walk back in to what I freed you from? It would be like one of these convicted criminals getting the call. Could you imagine? and being freed from their horrible crime. And could you imagine if you were a friend of theirs and they started to walk back into sin, go, whoa, wait a second. Why would you even think of that? You were spared. You were spared death. Why would you even think about that? Paul's telling this church in Galatians the same thing. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for you and I. Jesus pardoned you and I. I I do not want you to lose that picture of that table this morning. That's why I'm etching that in because that is the gospel story. Too much today we have minimized sin and I'm first in line. We can make it gray. We have what's called respectable sins, right? Well, I didn't do as bad as Dylan, so therefore on the measure of good and bad, I'm better. Again, sin is sin and God sees it as evil and we're no different. Sure, we made choices differently, but scripture is very clear. You know what it says in in 1 John, it talks about if you hate a brother in your heart or head, you're a murderer. Oh, I didn't like that verse. I got my scissors and cut that right out. You see how hard it is to apply this? Exodus 11 moves on and it gets a little bit more focused, but it says, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt, and he's communicating to the people of Israel, every firstborn son in Egypt will die, Uh, and he goes on to verse 6, there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. I wanted to highlight this because it says that Jesus is coming back. He promises he's coming back. He is coming back. There will be judgment, and it talks about there will be a lot of pain, a lot of wailing. Now, friends, this is not a hellfire and brimstone message this morning. I'm not shouting. I'm not yelling at you. But there's a reality there, and listen to this. That day in Egypt, there was none like it ever, and there never will be. That's a pretty horrific day, a huge picture of the judgment that God puts on evil. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. This was profound. Think about that. There's not a person that's not dead in Egypt's and Egyptians' homes. There's wailing. Everybody is screaming in the middle of the night. This is not like a city with streetlights and all that and power. This is darkness and and horrible. And yet even the animals are sleeping in the Israelites' camps. Could you imagine the contrast of peace and chaos and pain? The contrast of life and death. I think this is important this morning because too much, again, do we try to create a middle road, a religious middle road that we can kind of play the fence. Nowhere in our Bible, nowhere in this great love story of God is there a middle road. You either have received the pardon or you've rejected it. You either have life or you have death. This picture is, it says so that there's a distinction. All of these officials of yours will come to me bowing down before me. Go and tell all the people who follow you. After that I'll leave, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. God's judgment for sin will cause all to worship him. I don't have enough time to go into all the passages in Scripture that promise that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Think about that for a moment. We have a choice today to worship God 
with our lips, with our hands, with our feet, with the full force of who we are, or one day we just will out of reverence and fear, and it's too late. God gives us a choice out of that love, and the passages of Scripture are, are very clear. Romans 14 says, you then, why, why do you judge your brother and sister? Again, friends, what so flips my switch is it's so easy to point at how everybody else is wrong. I'm pointing pers- pur- pur- purposely. Kids, you're not supposed to do this. But you know what I mean? That's the Christian culture today. It feels like we're just, we're really good at pointing at everybody else. And Paul's saying, why do you treat them with contempt? For we're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. Quit spending time and energy figuring out where everybody else has fallen short. And the prophet Isaiah said it, and Paul quotes it. It is written, as surely as I will live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account to ourself, of ourselves to God. I think this morning we have enough to worry about ourselves, and God's judgment will bring about an accountability to sin, an accountability for the wrong we've done. What's our hope? What's our hope laying on the table of conviction? Is that red phone? A pardon. A pardon from the creator himself says, I'm going to provide grace and mercy. Hebrews 11, 28, Jesus himself will honor this Passover meal, but it says here that that Moses, by faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. God allows in the midst of this judgment always, I've said it every week for the past four weeks, grace and mercy. He offered it to Adam and Eve. He offered it to to Noah and his family. He offers it to Joseph and his family. These models, these pictures of God, as hard as it is to read the Old Testament and the judgment of evil, God is always allowing for grace and mercy. Exodus 12, it says then in verse 14, this is the day then you're to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. Passover, I want you to do every year. I want you to remember the pardon I gave for you. God asks us to remember him and his sacrifice. I mean, when we gather, I, I don't know if, if often, I, I, if we all get it. You might have come in this room and probably different places, but we're not here just for a download of information on Sunday that's, ah, oh, that was good. That was some more good facts. You're here to worship. You're here to give glory to the one that pardoned you. You're here to remember his sacrifice and then look into the eyes of other people that believe the same thing and celebrate that and rejoice that and encourage that and and urge people on to live that. And then when we're done here, we're supposed to go out to the streets and going, do you know there's a plague coming? That's death. And the only sacrifice that's going to pass over your home is going to be Jesus. Luke 22, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover 
with you before I suffer. Isn't that amazing? Jesus knows what's going on. He is eating the very meal that was, began over 1,200 years earlier to celebrate what? Him being sacrificed. He's hours away from this reality. For I tell you, I not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Look at this, verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And we know this, not just as the Lord's Supper or Passover, but as communion. And he took bread, and he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Can't you just all of a sudden see maybe the the lights going on for some of the disciples? And don't you see it this morning? (gasps) There was a road sign in Egypt pointing to this day. There was a picture of this. And so when we celebrate communion, our celebration of communion isn't religious tradition, it is to commemorate, it is to remember that all of us got a pardon by his sacrifice, by God's firstborn and only son. He offered him up as a ransom. I'll buy back my people. I'll buy back humanity. This room picture will not ever leave me, I think, in my heart. And I think this morning, uh, the question I have is, are, how do you see yourself? Even saying to you that you're equal to those who are convicted of crimes, I know from a lot of you, you don't like that. You'd like to fight me on that one. You'd like to disagree. You can The scripture says clear, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're liars, it'll say. We're liars. I could not help but think about when I was in that room, that's me. I deserve that. I'm your pastor and I deserve that because I might not have done the things these fellows have done, acted it out, but I've thought it. I've thought things. Do you gossip this morning? Are you full of pride? Do you use coarse language? Are you greedy? Have you hated somebody? Have you been unkind? Have you disregarded the poor? Should I go on? Who amongst us is sinless? None. And because of that, God brings wrath on sin. And I can't help but think of myself of receiving a pardon from God. I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and I think God's messing with me. Because I've been praying this prayer, and I told these inmates this. And, you know, some, again, as a teacher, it's not fun sometimes being a teacher because... I I say some things three or four times and finally it hits me. I I think, I've been praying and asking God, could I, God, I want to see sin the way you do. Mm. 
I want to feel it that way. So I don't make that choice. Because I think about this, we do this every week, and I think how easy it is to kind of grow into a, a system and a climate of, oh yeah, I did a couple things this week. And not see myself on a table. Because I thought things this week. I'm sure you have too. And friends, I think we've got to stop minimizing sin. And the scripture calls us to recognize our need for a pardon. I woke up last night just saying, God, I'm starting to feel some of it. Not like God yet. I don't think I'll fully know until Jesus returns, but I, I want to learn to hate sin. And I'm sorry for things I've done. I'm feeling more weighty and more weighty about some of the things I probably would have never cared about, like, oh, that was small, that's not a big deal. No, that's a huge deal. Huge. Micah 7, 18 is this prophet. I love this. I found this yesterday. I, it so struck me. It's so powerful. I wish, I've got to write a song about this one. Who is a God like you? Who pardons? Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? He, he forgave the evil I've done. He offers a pardon to me. You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing your mercy. Ah. Oh. That is a God, not just worth following, but worth worshiping. That is a God worth going to communion for and getting on our knees, that he forgives our sin, that he pardons our sin. This morning as we go to communion, some of you need to drop to your knees. Some of you need to confess a sin that you're practicing and you've just kind of minimized it, you justify it, you need to just get come clean. I have to do that, friends, because secrets will kill you. The secret sins of your life will destroy you. Some this morning need to kneel, maybe for the first time, and say, I put that blood sacrifice of Jesus on the altar, and I put it on the doorpost of my life, and I claim his pardon. I want his pardon. If you've never done that, and as you take the bread and the cup this morning, might you look into one other's eyes or, and look together at the cross and say, there's a God that the phone rang. He pardoned me. God in heaven this morning, I pray your spirit, as we said, we prayed, we prayed it in song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Flood this place and the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what we, we long for and help us see our sin. This morning, Father, I pray conviction on any. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.